Today on Point 01, Monik Suri sits down with Jen Galvin. With a background in the sciences, notably epidemiology and public health, Jen then transitioned into film production, bringing a unique voice to the medium. In this interview, Monik and Jen discuss the importance of science and storytelling, her work with the Henry David Thoreau Foundation, and her new film, The Antidote. Without further ado, here's Monik and Jen. Uh, welcome, everyone. We're thrilled to have Jen Galvin joining us today. Uh, Jen is joining us from the New York area, and she is uh, one of our, 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 you know, in many ways, uh, most interesting guests we've had on so far. And we've had some interesting guests on to point oh one. Uh, Jen has a, a fascinating career across science and filmmaking with a passion for social impact. And uh, we're excited to learn more about her career. Uh, Jen, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. We're, we're very excited to have you, Jen, and to learn more about your work and share it with those uh, listening into Point O One around the world. Uh, we'd love to start, Jen, if you could tell us a bit about yourself, uh, some of your education, how you got started uh, working on uh, science and social impact, and a bit about what you're doing today. Sure. Well, it, it hasn't been a straight line. <laughs> I've not followed a, uh, a, a straight path, nor, nor a paved one. Um, I'm a scientist by training, so I worked for a long time at the intersection of medicine, public health, and environmental science, and I was really interested in, in water, and more specifically, I was really interested in coastal populations, coastal places, coastal people, and, you know, backing up, even at, coming out of high school, I, I thought I was probably going to go into medicine, you know, maybe be a pediatrician, and, and as I pursued my educational interests and I ended up in college at, at Brown, I was really afforded a lot of opportunities to explore how um, different, different fields connect. Um, and so I became more and more interested in how medicine and environmental science, specifically aquatic biology, maybe had some interesting overlap. And like, like most stories, one thing leads to the next and I started kind of blazing my own path in what we now call ocean and human health. Um, so it wasn't easy back in the 90s, you know, even uh, it, it, it kind of sounded maybe a little bit crazy for a, a young woman to be interested in medicine and be interested in environmental science, which doesn't make sense now, but it, it wasn't easy. I actually didn't get a lot of support, even up through um, my master's and doctoral it was always kind of, I was always kind of working at the fringes of trying to figure out how things connected and asking those what if, what if questions. Um, so as I kept climbing the academic ladder and was finishing my, my doctoral work um, up at the Harvard School of Public Health, I really became more and more fascinated in storytelling and had always loved playing around with cameras. And I had a lot of friends who were working in the film, in the film uh, sector and just kind of started cutting my teeth on how do you tell a story and um, asking friends to kind of give me tutorials with, with the camera or with, you know, script writing. And then, and um, once I finished my doctoral, I just kind of took a leap, 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 leap of faith into storytelling and really wanted to put my camera on some of the public health issues um, that I had been studying. So that's kind of where, how I got 
to where I am now in terms of working at the the sweet spot of science and story. Um, and uh, you know, it's I feel like you know your education is is never is never finished. So while I feel like you know I don't really have that much left to prove in in a way, I have a lot left to do. Really inspiring and really interesting, uh, Jen. And uh, it sounds like your path has been. Um, you know, unfolding along the way and not necessarily, you know, plan from the beginning, which I think for many people listening in, hopefully is a source of inspiration. Um, I'm curious, um, you know, these kind of twin pillars in your career, these twin identities of scientist and storyteller, um, how do you see them interplaying? You know, are they two different halves? Are they intertwined? Do you think your career has gone from one to the other or you know, kind of maybe if you could share more on that, uh, would love to listen in. Yeah, I, I don't think it's been ever a mutually exclusive thing for me. I've always, you know, in science, as a scientist, you're very much encouraged to be unemotional, um, to be very sure. practical. You know, it's data-driven. Um, and as a storyteller, you're encouraged to find find the story, find the emotion, um, and put that very much forward. And I think um, I, I continue to try to do both. I think I always try to find the story when I was working as a scientist. And now as a filmmaker, I think I'm always trying to really drill down when I'm telling stories um, into the data to make sure that these stories have some, some foundation and some legs under them. So I think those two skill sets have really helped me. I, I see science and art as, as um, very similar uh, spaces. I think they're both driven by, by people's curiosity to, to understand how, how they fit in the world and, 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 and to share them. Um, so more and more, I, you know, as I get older and, and continue on a variety of different projects, I, I see science and art so, so very much aligned and, and wish um, that they wouldn't be pitted against each other um, like they usually are. They don't, you know, people kind of think they don't play well together, but I, I think that they are um, very, very much aligned. Is that what led you to found uh, and 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 build Real Blue? Yeah, I I I think it is. Um, you know, as I was finishing up my my doctorate work, I really knew that there were some stories that I wanted to put put a camera on, um, and I felt like if I was going to take this leap of faith. I wanted to do it in a substantive way. Um, and I knew that I had the street cred in science and I felt like in film, um, people still kind of, you know, look at me, <laughs> look at me weird when I tell them what my background is and, and how I came into filmmaking. So I really wanted to make sure that I could kind of put my best foot forward um, in the world of filmmaking and, and you know, have, have a company and, and bring teams together um, to help me, you know, Tell, tell these stories um, in the most professional and um, substantive way that I could. It's, it's really um, hearing about this, the, the path that got you there, Jen, I think puts, um, puts the work into context, but it's really uh, fun to listen in on the creative process. Um, did you have a kind of aha moment as you kind of decided or was it more organic? Um, you know, the kind of path into filmmaking and film production. Um, many of our listeners come from a, a range of um, pursuits, often, you know, uh, science or finance or areas that are, you know, say more 
uh, emphasizing data and 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 you know maybe taking some of the emotion out. And we've heard so many people say they want to. Um, you know, transcend or integrate other areas like art and emotion and bring that into the work. So I think people are really interested to learn how you made that transition. Yeah, I think it was organic. You know, look, looking back, um, when I was in college, I had an incredible marine science professor named Mark Burtness. And one of his close friends and, and colleagues um, was Randy Olson, another marine scientist. And, and Randy, in the 90s, um, kind of left science to pursue filmmaking. He was the first person that I that I heard about that was thinking about doing something like that. And I, I remember watching a, a film in, in class um, at Brown. It was called Barnacles Tell No Lies. And it was just this, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube still today by Randy Olson. And it I, I loved it. It was kind of a music video mashed up with um, an educational piece about barnacles and the hook was that you know, barnacles relative to to their body size have very large penises <laughs> and i just thought that this was like in what an incredible way to to tell that story and get people interested in in marine science through something that people don't think about like a barnacle um so you know looking back even in the early 90s i was really inspired by randy olson's work and um you know as i kept climbing the academic ladder um, and being put into different positions of, of leading um, research around the world, mostly in the, in the Caribbean region and Bermuda, I started noticing too that a lot of scientists either weren't good at or didn't see the point in being able to explain what they were doing in a given place, why they were doing it, and why anyone should care about the results. And so I started realizing that I enjoyed it and I was good at it. And I think that um, that also kind of really put the fire in my belly, belly to pursue pursue storytelling. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And it, it really does sound from the way you described the journey, Jen, that it was organic. You know, one thing led to another. Um, it's uh, hearing you talk about some of your sources of inspiration is kind of a, a reminder, I think, of how much it's about people, you know, as much as anything, a teacher, a course, a person, you know, that you listen to or whose work you read or, or came across, um, you know, that shapes our lives and the paths we take years later. Um, can you tell us about Real Blue? You know, what what's your mission? What's the, um, you know, what's driving the work and um, who are you trying to reach uh, with with the art? Yeah, so... Real Blue has been around since 2007. Um, and the mission has always been to tell great stories. And you know the stories that I like to tell most are still stories that put public health, that really center public health um, with you know, uh, areas like you know, stories that would involve uh, some kind of medical aspects or environmental aspects. I really still love telling those kinds of public health stories the, the most, um, especially if it has to do anything to do with water and uh, and with characters that are either kind of undervalued or underrepresented or unknown. So those are the kinds of things that I like to tell most. But what's been fun is that as, as you become a better filmmaker, um, you get other opportunities too. So I got the chance to work with some dear friends to make a, a music video last year. And my last feature documentary was about kindness. Um, and so 
you know, I think what's been fun about learning the tools of storytelling is that once, once you understand them, you can really, you know, apply them to all, all sorts of stories, which is great. But at the heart of Real Blue still is to really center public health um, in, in, in the stories that I, I, I like to tell. It's really, um, it's really incredible to see the ways in which some of your stories come to life. And um, I've just started, um, I've just started down the path of, um, of your OV and your work, uh, Jen. And I was thinking about this, um, one of the opening lines in The Memory of Fish, um, which for those of you who haven't listened to is one of Jen's, or watched is one of Jen's um, award-winning uh, films, uh, you know, Dick, uh, says that if you haven't seen a live river, you've really missed something. There's a kind of way in which these, um, you know, the kind of, as you said, this, these unlikely protagonists can shine a light on, you know, in many ways, almost a spiritual or divine aspect to everyday existence. You know, the idea of just a uh, salmon flowing through a river trying to find their way home uh, can become, you know, almost like a metaphor for our, our society and our species and other species. Uh, but the, the way in which you kind of find the unlikely protagonist seems to be a theme. Um, and of course, water seems to be another theme. What draws you to these kinds of people? You know, what is it that, that, that kind of, um, you know, has brought you to, to look for their stories? Well, with, with a character like Dick Gowen, I was, I was really lucky and I still feel quite grateful um, for it today to have been introduced to him. I, I got approached by a, a friend and colleague who um, had worked with Dick Gowen in, in, in Washington on the Olympic Peninsula. And he had told me about this, this river Yoda for years. And as he was, as Dick Gowen was getting older, my friend Phil was saying, you know, I think it's really time. Someone really needs to make a, a documentary about his story. It looks like it's looking good that maybe the dams on the Elwha River might come down. You know, they've been waiting for, for decades for these dams to come down. And I was just really lucky that, that Dick Gowen trusted me with his story. And I, I followed that story, shot that story over, over six years. I really wanted to cover the story before, during, and after the dams on the Elwha River came down. Um, I think sometimes with environmental storytelling, people can really focus on a very finite amount of time and sometimes you miss the story sometimes you really want to pull back and see you know is this is this going to work you know one I didn't know if the dams would come down when I started following the story and two I didn't know if, it, if the river would come back to life and, and rebound as as fast as it did so you know finding a story like like that is is really special and and how to how to turn it in and, and share this kind of evergreen story with the audience is something that I will will continue um, to hold as 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 a north star especially when you're working with older characters um i think filmmakers sometimes get scared off by older characters because there's not a lot of like fast live action but for me you know you, you kind of just start using the camera as a vessel and and this the story tells you where it, it needs to go and um and with a character like like dick going it was just this kind of like magical poetic um story that just started unfolding and I won't, you know, no spoil spoilers here, but I, I do hope people get a chance to watch the memory of fish and, and, and enjoy it. I really wanted people to feel emotion and, and to connect with the fish. And it's a hard thing to do. How do you make, how do you help somebody, you know, feel something for a river or for fish that they've never seen other than maybe on their plate. 
So I hope that I achieved that with that story. So well said. And I can say I, I came away with a different appreciation for, for fish, <laughs> truly for salmon, the kind of everyday um, idea of the, you know, the species on your plate, but kind of thinking about the ecosystem and the people around it. Um, uh, Jen, I'm, I'm curious if you think and, and how you think your storytelling, um, you know, either in the case of, um, you know, uh, the memory of fish and, and the, uh, the uh, conservation efforts around it, or just more broadly, how does storytelling drive change in your view, in your assessment? Well, I think, you know, part of it is, is helping the audience see a part of themselves in whatever story you're telling. Um, and I think that that's for me is always kind of the, the main driver. It's, you know, people think about social impact campaigns for films and they always think about, you know, what, what's, what's the, what's the act, activation of, of, of the, of the film. And for me, it's, it's not even so much about the story. It's about the audience. So helping audience members connect with something, um, in the story, um, again, even if it's a place that they will never see in, in their lifetime or an issue that they really don't deal with directly. I think if you can kind of pull out some human component that's relatable, that the audience can kind of see themselves in, in, in some aspect of the story, I think that's really where, you know, you kind of get that sweet spot of, of social impact. Um, yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, 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 you know, really nice to hear you talk about it as a, you know, both director and producer. I think we often see the work and, and watch and view the work, but don't hear about the inspiration of those behind the work. Um, you know, one of the most interesting things about your background, Jen, is that you have this public health uh, pedigree, you know, this training in public health. Seems like that's not all that common amongst filmmakers, um, as far as I'm aware. Um, how does that and 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 how do you see your 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 training in public health um, informing your current work and work that might you know that might come out in the years ahead? Obviously, public health is very top of mind given what's happened over the past year uh, with the COVID nineteen pandemic. But you know, COVID nineteen notwithstanding, and beyond COVID, um, how do you see your public health training kind of informing the work? Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is an incredible, at the risk of sounding callous to what we've all been experiencing around the world with the COVID-19 pandemic, it, I am glad that people now understand what an epidemiologist is and does for the most part, I think, or, or just, you know, some basic sort of public health 101, um, you know, issues of, of, of social distancing and why you might want to wear a mask and, and things like that. So that for me, I feel like finally public health in a way is, is getting its, its due and it, and it's, it's placed in the spotlight. Um, it should be centered more. And my colleagues who have stuck, you know, I kind of keep a toe in, in the academic and research aspects of, of public health, but I, you know, I give so much credit to my colleagues and dear friends who've stuck with it. And they, you know, they are on, they are really on the front lines of this. And they've been telling us for years um, that we need to be prepared for something just like what we're experiencing today. Um, and for me, you know, being trained in epidemiology, ep epidemiology has always, always been kind of about identifying patterns. And for me, I think that that skill or just 
whether it's a, it's a natural ability of, of mine, but it's also been developed through, through my educational path, that, that ability to uncover and stitch together patterns very much helps me as a filmmaker in terms of stitching together stories, um, you know, from, from the editing room and post-production and actually finishing a story, but also on the front end and doing a tremendous amount of research to find the best stories and to figure out how things connect and what patterns might be appearing that would make a really incredible story to put on, on the big screen. Certainly, um, there's there's so much that could be said, and 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 probably is being and will be said about the stories coming out of this past year. You know, the the pandemic has has changed the face of humanity essentially um, everywhere in the world. Um, and and you you spoke um, Jen a moment ago about um, you know the the kind of the fact that the word epidemiologist is something that people now have in their lexicon which I imagine a year and a half ago, very few people knew or had ever heard of an epidemiologist or a public health expert. So there's a certain mainstreaming of this work that feels really important in a wake up um, you know, to, to, the, to the needs uh, around public health. Um, can you tell us, you know, just from your perspective as both a storyteller and a scientist, um, you know, how will and how has um, the storytelling changed and what kinds of stories do you think will come out and how will that inform our approach to public health? And maybe tell us about, um, you know, any of the work, the projects you're working on around this, if, if you could. Sure. Well, I think the, you know, one of, one of the big things that the pandemic I think has, has um, exposed is just some of the very serious societal cracks um, and what's been interesting to watch from, from the filmmaking community is that people have really kind of leaned in with that and, and, and more than ever organizations that support filmmakers and, and institutes are, are, are very much directly saying we, you know, we need more representation. We want different kinds of stories from different kinds of storytellers and we really want to, you know, not be framing these stories as, as either or or, or binary um, issues to find the connectivity in the stories and really look to, to the margins. Um, you know, as, as a public health scientist, I've, I've always seen that it's at the margins of society where little things can make the big, biggest difference. And I think um, filmmakers are, you know, some of the best stories that we'll see coming out of of this this moment are are films that are looking to the margins um, to tell the stories of of what's wrong and and what's what's maybe going right with people who are really stepping up as as leaders um, in those communities. So, you know, I, I just think um, you know, like I said, I think it's it's in some ways it's no accident that um, I continue to kind of center center public health and. In, in my filmmaking work. I think that those are where some of the best stories lie. Um, and it's just the best way to help people understand how, how things connect, um, you know, in a very kind of six degrees of Kevin Bacon way. Um, so, yeah. Love that. I, I love that, Jen. And, you know, speaking of um, 
you know, connections that, you know, can seem tenuous, but then, you know, that, that then reveal themselves. One of the films uh, we've heard uh, as being amongst your most uh, popular is The Antidote, um, which, you know, is kind of an unlikely, um, you know, for, you know, an unlikely angle for a public health um, and epidemiological scientist. But can you tell us more about The Antidote and, and the process of, of producing and filming and, and, and why focus on kindness? Sure. Well, and it, it's funny because, you know, looking back, the antidote, I, I met John Hoffman, um, who, who had the idea for the antidote at a, a meeting that the Sundance Institute held right after Trump was elected. And Sundance Institute, you know, in, in, their, in their wisdom, they were in New York and they said, you know, who are the filmmakers in New York that are thinking about climate change? and they brought us all around one table. Um, and it was a really, really interesting, interesting moment. And actually I reflect on that day a lot because I, I, I think we need more of that um, kind of people coming around the table, whether it's on Zoom now today or in face-to-face -face contact. Um, but I met John Hoffman there and he was very interested in public health. Um, and, you know, we became friends and he started telling me about this idea he had in, very undeveloped. He just had one word and it was kindness. He wanted to make a, a film, a feature documentary about kindness. And, you know, fast forward, I think about a year and a half, he, you know, we had stayed in touch and he came back to me and said, I have money to make this film. Will you, you know, come on as the producer? And I said, yeah, I mean, there's nothing better. I, I love challenges like that. When, when, it, you know, you have a, an A team of people, and you have, you have the money in place to make the film and you have this raw bar, very raw um, ball of clay with just one, one word, which was kindness. And, and it was really neat to just develop that and, and think, about, think about the word and think about the questions we wanted to ask of ourselves and, and of the stories that we were trying to identify uh, across the country. Um, and the idea was really to, you know, almost like do this flyover and dip into these locations across the states and find ways that people were intentionally uh, living and working together that, that felt kinder. And what was most interesting to me filming that, that, you know, working on that production was that kindness was so politicized. There were people that didn't want to be a part of the film because they felt like it was going to be a very political film. And that, that spoke volumes to me in terms of, the, the moment in history that we were living through under the Trump administration and, and continue to live, live through the, the, the ripple effects of, of that administration. Um, but when you think about something like kindness being politicized and people not wanting to be a part of a film because of that, 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 um, that really kind of, you know, knocks, knocks you out a, a little bit. Um, but that, yeah, the antidote was a really, it was a special project. Um, I, you know, what, what, a, what a gift, what an opportunity to work on a, a film like that. Such a terrific story. And, um, and just imagining kind of anchoring around this word, you know, and then creating a film around the concept of kindness and, and, um, and then, you know, thinking about that as, um, as a force for change, a force for good, you know, I think there's something very deeply, um, 
idealistic about that in a in the truest sense you know playing to our own highest ideals as people as souls um mm -hmm. i love the idea that that might be a public health project uh, jen <laughs> it really expands the concept of health and public health beyond um you know what what many i think think of public health you know we think about obesity we think about chronic disease but uh, chronic uh, uh politicization and chronic anger and chronic um alienation uh being public health problems is like a fascinating lens to imagine uh, yeah it it is and and also you know i always try to remind people that public is in the name public health for a reason you know um it it is about people it's not about the individual like medicine is it is public um and so there is you know very much an argument is to be to be made for something like kindness is you know part of the public health arena um and that kindness isn't something that's weak it's something that's that's quite strong and maybe at the very core of of who we are as humans and how we how we survive together absolutely absolutely um really well said um on that note on that exact point about how we survive together um you know what's your view i mean we're early into uh 2021 there's a new administration in the white house um there's vaccination rollouts emerging in various parts of the world um and at the same time there's huge challenges on every front um and and broadly defined as you do in the public health sphere sustainability and conservation challenges, challenges around politicization and uh, alienation, challenges around uh, even the COVID vaccine response and COVID-19 recovery. Um, what, are you an optimist? Uh, do you think things will get better? What do you see, you know, what's your view looking outward? Well, I, I you know, it's funny. I, I think I'm an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. Maybe I'm more of a realist, but I, I like to, you know, I, I do believe, I can't remember who said it, but, you know, hope is a discipline. Um, so I, I really try to think of myself in, in that way, that the hope is a discipline. Um, well, I, I do think things will get better, but we can't be doing business as usual. You know, there are, if, if we've learned anything else from, from COVID is, is that, you know, it's not, separate from things, you know, we're not going to address COVID and then also be trying to address the, the economy. Um, you know, we have some very big issues to, to tackle and it's going, it can only be done by the partnerships of, of many different um, organizations and institutions, you know, both private and, and public. And, um, you know, I just think, Things will get better, but we can't be doing things as business as usual. You know, we can have all the technology and innovation to get out new vaccines um, with incredibly elegant science. But if we don't address, you know, serious injustices, um, the same people will be um, in the same place, whether they have a vaccine or, or not. Um, so, you know, it has been incredibly inspiring to watch the scientific community work together and it is incredible that we have the number of vaccines that we do today to, to be administered to people. And the rollout has had a lot of hiccups, but I think we're, we're starting to see some 
some progress and improvement there. So I am hopeful. I um, I do think we will we will get out of this. Um, but you know we can't uh, for, forget maybe why we got into this in the first place, which is why uh, public health very much again needs to be centered um, in you know in our economic discussions, in our medical discussions, um, and uh, in, our, in our environmental discussions. I just hope that people really see and commit to strong, strong partnerships that are working kind of in a kaleidoscopic way so that we don't get into these situations again. There's a lot to reflect on there, Jen. And um, one of the things you said, one of the, the, the foundations, I think you mentioned to your philosophy is this idea that you know, hope is a discipline. <laughs> I love that. Um, I'm going to try and find the, the, the source for that quote. But um, in that spirit, you know, if you look out at projects, um, you know, out there in the world, many of our listeners are, um, you know, looking at uh, and looking for ways to make a difference, to be part of the solution, to, you know, practice that discipline of hope. Um, are there organizations uh, groups, uh, efforts that you would encourage them to look at and look for? Well, I think, you know, I always have a hard time making recommendations like that. I think people just need to look a little bit like, inside themselves and think about what skills they, they have to share that can help an organization, you know, that's within their neighborhood or kind of, you know, act more locally. Um, and also just think about what organizations inspire them. I mean, remember how you know, you've been hurt and you've been helped along the way. And I think there's plenty of organizations to go around that, you know, would accept new volunteers. I think volunteering is is something that we hopefully can, can all do more of um, in, in, in some way. So, you know, I think it's, it's hard to, to, re- to recommend uh, broadly organizations that people should get involved with, but I think it's more about, you know, aligning aligning your own values and things that you're, that you care about. And there are, you know, plenty of organizations uh, that are addressing problems that uh, probably need a lot of, a lot of help. Well said and and spoken uh, like someone who's both um, gone inward and forged her own path, often unpaved, as you said, it sounds like the, some of the takeaways there are go inward, see what resonates, start local, take action. Uh, lots out there to to do and and get you know and get involved with. Um, just looking at a couple of the organizations um, you know you're involved with, we you know um, we noted that you're a director and trustee of the uh, Henry David Thoreau Foundation. Could you tell us a bit about the foundation's work? Sure. So the Thoreau Foundation's been alive for over twenty years now. So we've kind of gotten out of our teenage years as an organization, which feels really good. And we're, we're an environmental uh, charitable trust. And we do two things. The, the first thing, the first arm of our work is that we identify high school students graduating from high schools in the state of Massachusetts who want to go on to college and study something environmentally related, anything environmentally related. And in fact, we encourage um, kind of an interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary approach to um, envir- the environment. And we, we pick eight to 10 Thoreau scholars every year, 
and we provide them with tuition scholarships and mentorship. Um, so currently I you know, have 33 undergraduates kind of under, under my wings um, to, to help them navigate their undergraduate years. And the second arm of our work is that we identify undergraduate professors who want to get an undergraduate environmental leadership program off the ground. And, and we seed fund that for one to three years um, to help them either get a proof of concept so they, they can go for larger funders or you know, perhaps they get endowed by an, an alumni who's particularly inspired by, by the program. So we're trying to, it's sort of a top-down and bottom-up approach, you know, funding individual students and funding uh, university programs, um, all centered around environmental leadership. Awesome. Um, really an interesting um, multi-pronged multi uh, approach. Um, I know some folks are looking for uh, mid-career transitions. Others are looking at getting started in their career and, and yet others are looking to kind of invest and fund change makers out there. So uh, please check out the Thoreau Foundation amongst others, uh, folks listening in. Um, Jen, is there, you know, any last words you'd love to or like to leave us with? We are very much inspired by your work over at Therma. We're just one of many points of light out there. We talk about 0.01 as one in a thousand points of light, trying to make a difference. Um, we're building smart monitoring solutions for the cold chain, trying to reduce the climate impact here. But any last words you would leave uh, listeners listening in focused around innovation and sustainability? I think my, my parting words would be, you know, that everyone can tell better stories, whether or not you're, you know, formally a filmmaker or not. I think learning how to, you know, read a story in, in, a, in, a, in a paper one day or, or hear a, a, a story on, on television and be able to communicate it back to someone and talk about it, open up a dialogue and discussion around the questions more than the answers, I think is something that I would encourage everyone to do. You know, be, be better storytellers, find better story ways to, you know, to share stories. Um, I think, um, and, and, and learning how to talk to strangers. I think it's really important to be talking to people that don't talk like, like you, whether that's, you know, put through a political lens or, you know, a class lens. I think it's important to really be trying to, to reach out to people and share stories. And, you know, as much as it's important to be a, a good storyteller, it's also important to be a good story listener, right? Great words to end on. Great words to end on, Jen. We've enjoyed listening to this story and hopefully many uh, folks will go forth and tell their own and listen to others outside of their you know, immediate circles and communities. Um, such a pleasure having you on today. Uh, we look forward to having more conversations with you and, and congratulations on all your work and success to date. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you want to stay up to date with Jen Galvin, follow her on Twitter at Galvin underscore Jen or check out her website at JenGalvin.com. Additionally, you can learn more about her work at RealBlue.net and TheAntidoteMovie.com. Today's podcast is presented by Therma, a smart refrigeration monitoring company. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to Point of One Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Point of One Podcast or on the web at Climate.HelloTherma.com.